The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to issue 152 of Super Sculpt, your weekly new comic book audio digest for the week of August 3rd, 2017. Uh, this is America's podcast sweetheart, Nick Weibar. I'm here with Marcus Schwimmer. Hello. How do I How do I follow that? You're just Marcus Schwimmer. That's all I am today. And Curtis Sullivan. Aloha, comic book chums. How are you doing today? Oh, just dandy. I... I cut you off. Just try it again. <laughs> How you doing today? Doing pretty good. Read a bunch of comics. Got yeah. a weird ride to work with my Lyft driver. Okay. Who was definitely enjoying some doobage. Yeah. In the whip on the way to work. Did you? <laughs> did you feel safe? I mean, it seemed fine because like everybody's stoned now. That's the that's the new rule. Like mm-hmm. if you're alive on Earth, right? You like must be stoned. I do weed, of course. <laughs> so I was thinking earlier today about how. Um, I don't know who America's podcast sweetheart is, and that I think it might as well be me. What do you guys think? I mean, can we talk about it? Do you when you think of Nick, do you think of America's podcast sweetheart? I bet you do now, though. You did. You're thinking about it now. I think he needs to wear more red, white, and blue flannel on top. I don't mm-hmm. think it's a patriotic thing, brother. It's totally a patriotic. Thing. When Skeet Ulrich was America's sweetheart in the late 90s. Go on. It wasn't because he was super patriotic. It wasn't because he was rocking flag pants. It was because he's endearing oh. and he represents us. He represents us. I I don't know. I still think it's either you or Channing Tatum, and I say that in, in full honesty. I don't know. Uh, so first of all, I'll just say it right now, and I, and he knows why. Fuck Channing Tatum. And the other thing is, I can't name a single one of his podcasts. Can you? I'm sure he's got hundreds of them. Oh, he must. See, you're just assuming, though. But he's America's sweetheart. That's great. I'm talking about America's podcast sweetheart. It's got to be you. Well, for now, it's Nick. I'll concede that it's Nick for yes. now, but there will be some sort of blood ritual yes. slash- uh, you know, fight pit type situation coming up. I mentioned this to our producer, Rachel Polk. I was like, hey, Rachel, do you think of America's podcast, sweetheart? And she's like, no, that's a stupid bit. I don't think you should do it. <laughs> she was just like, fuck no. Knowing Rachel, she was like, absolutely not. Yeah, just shut it down real quick. And I think uh, maybe the reason I'm not is because I don't have production support. You know, that's a really good point. Thank I you. think any America's podcast, sweetheart, has to have positive reinforcement from the production staff man hey you know who's cool all those ladies that did a podcast last week on super skull for the lady skull they are they're the best they nailed it they're just so much more professional than we are you know what i mean well they're more professional they're more likable they're way they're more they're much more charming yeah they're better in literally every way yeah well maybe not they didn't they don't have you know, America's Podcast Sweetheart on that particular episode. And it's easier mm. for us to pee standing up. That's what we got going. Other than you that. You want to go there? <laughs> you want to bring it there? I don't no. know. You on the Do podcast? We? Do we? I don't know. You want to make it about dudes and ladies? No, not at all. They're way better than we are just in every single way. I really enjoyed having a Wednesday off to hang out with you dudes. That was cool. Play a bunch of board games. That was a shit. A weird uh, middle of the week. We just had a day off on a Wednesday, yo. Yeah, that was neat. That was awesome. It's so weird. It was also cool to hear a sweet comic book podcast by a bunch of people that we know. It's so awesome to just listen to it and enjoy it. Yeah. It was great. They had a really nuanced and interesting talk about Harley Quinn. If you have not gone back and listened to last week's episode of The Lady Skull Return Strikes Again, Return of the Lady Skull Strikes Again. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, check it out and listen to the Harley Quinn section. Because it was very, very cool and very, very interesting about a character. And I'm just going to go on record and say, I don't really like Harley Quinn. They had a really nuanced talk about it. And I'm yeah. just going to say, I think Harley Quinn's shitty and sucks. It was interesting listening to them talk in that segment because I was just like, I, that's right. I don't know shit. I've, I had forgotten. Yeah. And I don't. It's, it was amazing. Expand on that, how you don't know shit. They just, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, there's so many ways to expand on that statement. Um, it was great to hear their perspectives i think i try my hardest 
to try to incorporate everyone's kind of considerations and viewpoints when I look at things. Yeah. Especially when it comes to comic media via this podcast. But inherently, because I am a dude, it, it was enlightening to hear kind of their viewpoints on that particular character. That is so easy to say, like, that character's dumb, or I love that character. Well, they really dug into it, and I, I thought it was just an amazing segment. They also reminded me that, like, it just sucked from the get-go. It mm-hmm. just was a it's just a bad it's idea problematic. and problematic from the fucking get go. Yeah. And there's some really talented people that have done their damnedest to make that shit cooler and to like bring life into that character and make it less shitty. But from Jump Street, it sucked. Yeah. Harley Quinn. Yeah. Anyway, for a much better discussion of that character, listen to last week's episode. I was just throwing that out there. Great job, you dudes. Please come back on the podcast again. Uh, hey, we're also in the in the news section already. Let's talk about it. We while we were gone, San Diego Comic Con had just wrapped up. At that point, yeah, a lot of news, so many things, a lot of news. One piece of cool news, and I just wanted to like just breeze past this. But Donny Cates has an exclusive uh, deal with Marvel for the next little while. How should we know who Donny Cates is? Who is Donny Cates? That's a great question. Donny Cates, most recently, the thing that we're really excited about is this book, God Country, which we've been talking about quite a bit. Yeah. What else do we know Donny Cates from? He's doing Redneck right now. Yeah. Which is on fire. And he just dropped a book, we're on issue two, of Baby Teeth mm. uh, from Aftershock Comics. This is cool to me because this is the path of some of our favorite writers. Yep. So you take your, your Jason Aaron's. You know, Jeff Lemire's. Your Jeff Lemire's. They do these independent books, and they do really, really well, and it's really interesting stuff. And then it gets picked up by some of these. They get an exclusive contract, and they're going to do two years where Donny Cates is going to be the man at Marvel. Jonathan Hickman's another example of this, right? And the exclusive deal at Marvel, specifically with those last couple folks and Donny Cates, is he gets a spot at like the the big boy editor's table and gets to kind of steer the direction of the whole ship. In addition to working on, he's going to be doing Doctor Strange out of the gate, but he's going to have some major input into kind of the the larger what's happening at Marvel, which is pretty damn cool. Yeah. This is every couple of years we get a dude like this, like your Charles Souls, your Jonathan Hickman's, your whatever, who kind of go down this path. And it's this is a like it's weird, and I never thought about it until this Donny Cates thing happened. But there is kind of like a prescribed career for a specific type of comic book writer, and like Donny Cates is going along that path, and that's it's worked out really well for some writers that we really. Can you think yeah. of anybody that it has not worked out well for? N- nobody leaps to mind. Nobody All of leaps our to mind for favorite me. dudes, Matt Kent. Everybody's still around, yeah. killing it. At, yeah, good question. At DC, there was that one guy who had an exclusivity contract who did Convergence. What was that dude's name? It was the Other King. The Other King, right. And, oh. And I haven't I haven't seen anything from him since. The Other King. The Other King. I will yeah. say that Image Comics definitely is the incubator overwhelmingly oh, for, for this. Sure. This is what's interesting about it. Overwhelmingly. Yes, and independent shit. And like at the time, Vertigo was like a long time ago, maybe eight, ten years ago, before it was Image, it was Vertigo would be the incubator for like you try out your weird shit, you try out this idea that you've been cooking on for a long time, and that's your launching platform for the next thing. And now it's Image. Yep, for sure. And this guy's still, uh, it's important to note, he still gets to do all his creator own stuff. He just can't do any other company stuff. Right, so, so he can't work at DC. Exactly. He's exclusive to Marvel in so much as, yeah, he's still going to keep doing uh, Redneck and yeah. uh, Baby do, Teeth and all that stuff. Do you think he could write issues of Spawn? I would love to see this dude on Spawn. Do you think that counts, though? I wonder if that counts. Wow. I know that's Image. I just blew my own mind, and now I just blew yours yeah. a little bit. Because Image at this point, right, they're a, does it, what's the stipulation? Is it it's the big, big four, the big, big three? It's a big company. Can Donny Cates write for Savage Dragon? It's only DC. It's only Founders Books. Yeah. Anywho, that's Donny Cates news. Now, if we could settle in for a second... At San Diego Comic-Con, one of the things, a big topic of conversation throughout the entire convention is what's going on with the direct market and the comic book publishing industry. We talk about it every month. It's kind of a bummer right now. Double-digit declines every single month. A lot of the things being talked about in hushed tones at this convention are words like collapse and implosion and 
Trouble. S- store closings. And a lot of store closings. And, oh, fuck. I bet that got said a lot. A lot of people just, like, sighing to themselves. Oh, fuck. So there was a panel with Dan Didio and Jim Lee. It's the co-publishing panel for DC. And they spent a lot of time talking about what they won't be doing for the next year or so. They won't be doing any variants for Dark Matter, which is their new line of comics, their new imprint. I'm not quite sure what to call Dark Matter yet. Yeah, imprint slash mini series thing. Something. Yeah. They're going to keep their books at two ninety nine. And one of the things that Dan Didio says is we have to stop the death of the comic book industry. This actually got misattributed to Stan Lee and like... There was a bunch of weird stuff on the internet about how... Jim Lee. Jim Lee, not Stan Lee. Thank you. There was a bunch of stuff about how Jim Lee was talking about the collapse of the comic market, but what actually happened is Dan Didio said the words, you know, we have to stop the death of the comic book industry. And other analysts agree a lot. ICV2 had a really cool article about over-gimmickry and oversupply that have stretched the direct market really thin. Now, people are very optimistic about the book trade, which is your bookstores. Your graphic novels go into bookstores and being sold there. But the single-issue direct market is being discussed in these horrible, hushed tones. And for people who haven't heard us talk about this in the past, the direct market is your local brick-and-mortar comic book store. Yes. That is what we mean when we're talking about the direct market. When you go to Barnes & Noble and you buy a copy of Watchmen, you're buying through the book trade. Right. If you go to your local bookstore that doesn't sell floppy monthly comic books and you buy a copy of Amulet, you are buying through the book trade. If you go to a comic book shop and you recognize it as such, and you'll know it when you see it, (laughs) then you're going through the direct market at that point. Now. There is a really great article that we're going to link to in the show notes from Comics Beat. So Todd Allen has this great article where he breaks this down a lot better than we could, actually. But we'll take a little a sum up of his article, because I think it was pretty on the nose. That if you take events and variants and quote-unquote stunts out of the equation when you're looking at sales numbers, and by stunts he really means like variants for number one issues, which artificially represent a huge portion of the comic book industry. It is crazy how much they represent of the comic book industry when you're looking at monthly sales numbers. If you take all that stuff out of the equation, Marvel and DC are basically dead even in sales, and even Image, in some cases, is could be considered like neck and neck with both of them. All, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, all of our evergreen graphic novels, almost all of them, I mean, there's some from DC and Marvel, are Image. Absolutely. Now, this the industry is driven by stunts. The growth in the industry and the big numbers that are coming out of the industry is driven by these things that Todd Allen calls stunts. And that's a problem that I never really wrapped my head around until really recently. So the blame, according to Todd Allen, is there. there's a bunch of stuff. Monthly readers are down, quote-unquote, full stop. There's no two ways around it. Fewer people are reading comic books. We have the data for that. We, see, we can see the numbers. The book market is up. New readers are gravitating towards graphic novels and trades instead of monthly books. We have a lot of evidence for this. It's happening. The book trade is strong. It's very cool that we're getting new readers, but it's very bad for the direct market. And retailers did not diversify their audience when the getting was good. And it might, it might, might, might be too late. When, when, when you say when the getting is good, when was that? I think there was a really cool time that started a few years ago around the time that Miss Marvel started up. Just as a, just to pick a title out of the hat. No, no, I think it's a great example. But it represented what was happening at the industry in that time when Marvel and DC both, and Image for that matter, were willing to try some stuff that they had never done before to appeal to new types of readers and to get to reach outside of this like core constituency of let's be super honest of like young white men who are is the majority of their customer base and they did things to actively reach outside of that and that was the moment when the direct market could have pounced when retailers could have pounced and they didn't yeah and i think i mean there was no question that miss marvel was a great selling book so it, comic book stores were getting that books in, that book into the hands of people Ideally, new readers, but the question is, is did they take the opportunity to take those new readers that were into Miss Marvel or into Squirrel Girl and develop them into long-term comic fans and long-term comic customers? And whether they did or not, and the sales kind of back it up, and they back it up for a while, and then they restarted it, and then it backed it up, and then it dived off. The trade for those books, the book trade for those books did 
very, very well. And it still does well. And still does well, but it's not happening at comic shops. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about an opportunity. Like, you're getting new kinds of readers into your shop for the first time ever. It's time to take a hard look at what the fuck you're doing and the way your shop looks and the way that you present yourself and what you're putting. The the titles, the books that you're ordering two months in advance of what you have for these people to look at when they get there. And for all intents and purposes, as we look, they didn't really do that. And that ship might have sailed away because now the publishers, there's this reactionary, well, fuck that, that didn't work. Let's double down on legacy characters and legacy numbering. Well, and I think another thing that we should mention is uh, there was a moment where you could have got in on the all ages train and the scholastic train, yes. and that was, um, you know, you, maybe it is Amulet One. What, or, do, you, the, what do you mean scholastic? So train? you know, they, it's books that uh, Scholastic sells to public libraries, school libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, they also sell to the book trade and the comic book trade. But it's books like Bone and Amulet and Space Dumplings and these kind of books that are perennial. Um, all ages stuff. It's all the Raina Talgemeier stuff, Smile and Drama and Sisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are all New York Times best-selling books that do great everywhere. Um, and they, how many comic shops don't have an all ages section? Right. Overwhelming. The, you know, ten percent through twenty percent through. And so I think that's another thing that this article talks about is missing the boat on that. And really, you got, and, and that's that segment is growing like crazy. The DC superhero line, superhero girls, yep, blowing up absolutely massively huge. How many comic shops don't carry it at all? So what we're talking about is not an industry collapse. We're not talking about the death of comic books. But we could be talking about a serious contraction of retailers. And retailer, if retailers start to go out of business and if trends continue, we're going to start to see comic shops close. Then everything, that'll prove all of this stuff right. And it'll force the entire industry to take a hard look at itself. I'm encouraged by some of the things that I'm hearing DC and Marvel talk about, um, but we're gonna, the proof is going to be in the pudding before too long because if we we cannot get through another six months like we just had without losing some stores yeah. in terms of the the down sales that we're looking at. I was really happy that they touched on the variant cover issue um, in this article because variant covers to me, remind me a lot of some of the problems that were happening in the 90s before the 90s bubble popped. And that was is that there was a false sense of value put on certain comic books. Um, And we see it all the time with variant covers. You'll have a variant cover come out every once in a while that will retail for $75 to $100 or online will sell for even more than that. That is a gimmick. Mm-hmm. Because that book is not actually worth $100. And it won't maintain that value. It's very unlikely that it will maintain that value. I don't care what anyone says. That yeah. book is not worth $100. And it's not going to be worth $100. Um, and that is something that ne- the industry needs to take a look at. But when we talk about the declining the declining readership in monthly comics, I think it is foolish to not talk about scheduling conflicts that Marvel and DC have had lately where they have series of books and then a book doesn't come out for a month and after so you have a you have a missed month or you have your big crossover and the scheduling of those books gets all messed up and you have to wait 6 months or an event takes how long did secret wars take to Man, start I disag- from I do totally disagree with you why because i think the i think that's the problem because you can see how much the industry because you're totally right that the industry is affected by those events a healthy industry with a big broad reader base that may or may not give a shit about it shouldn't be a given that everybody that reads comic books the most important thing to them is secret wars but the industry treats those events as the most important thing in the world because the sales fall off a cliff when an issue's late. Totally. And when you say but, the industry, it's every segment. I mean, retailers, yes. everybody, readers, retailers, distributor. So I don't. When we're talking about overall health of the industry, stuff being late absolutely matters. But the fact that it matters is the is the whole problem. I think it matters. I mean, I think it matters for new readers and and older readers because yes, I use the example of Secret Wars. Um, but there were, there was a time like Miss Marvel was an oddity in the fact that it came out every month on time, but for a while there, that wasn't the case for a lot of books. A lot of books or a lot of your regular monthly issues were having delays. And if you have new readership, you have to cater to that new readership. And that means if you're going to do monthly books, you have to put them out on a consistent schedule. I think overall that's a valid point, but I, I, I think Nick is speaking to the larger concern that um, 
comics are way too small anyways and there yeah. should be there should be 10 times as many people reading comic books I t- I totally and agree. in a in a world where that's the case then delays from whatever the biggest crossover are don't move the whole needle of the industry yeah, and I think or actually, even monthly books and most books are on time 90 95% of books are on time like it's actually crazy how on time they are for the most part I would uh, recommend, we're going to definitely uh, post the link to this article, but there's a couple other articles that this article references and links to. Yeah. Please check it out because th- this is awesome. I mean, just talking about uh, the breakdown of how folks order and what their over-under is on issues, mm-hmm. it's super boring to almost everybody, but it just tells you why you go into your local comic store and they only have two copies of whatever small press book. Because the margins are thin. Yep. You got hundreds of titles. There are some hard choices that retailers are asked to make. And it's because this thing is set up in such a way with one distributor, with the advanced ordering, with the no returnability. Um, it's, uh, yeah. This is the one thing that I think was sold short on everything that I read about this is not enough blame is put on retailers themselves. Yep. Because at the end You're of right. the day, the customer actually is not the consumer. It is the retailer. And if the retailer is just dead wrong about what their audience wants and what could sell in their shop and orders the wrong shit yep. because they're not paying attention or because they don't read it or they were just wrong. And sometimes with, even with the best of intentions, you're just wrong. That's actually the end of the line for as far as publishers are concerned. They don't see anything past that. Nope. They only know how many you order next time. No, it's the initial orders. It doesn't even get to reorders half the time because if initial orders aren't there, yeah. the ship has sailed. It's over. I, I think a lot more of this blame has to be put on retailers. You know, in this article, you know, not to keep going, but it also talks about once Diamond is out of stock on stuff, retailers overwhelmingly do not use other distributors. Like, we have to go to other distributors all the time to get, yeah. like, scholastic books, for example, which are massively perennial books, right? Um, but once Diamond's out, the bulk of retailers, that's it. That's their source. So if they can't get Bone Volume 1 from Diamond, they just don't have any bone. Right. Which is crazy to think about, but there it is. At the same time, you have you have a limited amount. If if you're a smaller shop, you have a, a limited amount of money to play with, and if you put your kind of all your eggs in a little in a basket that is a big crossover or whatever, and this is part of the unhealthiness, and that doesn't do well, or people don't come in and it's sitting on the shelf. There's no returnability on those books. That's money that you're not going to get a return investment on. None, yeah, and you're that's totally a right. huge problem. None of this is easy shit. But the answer cannot be trying to flog the same few tens of thousands of dudes to get to buy the same shit and try new gimmicks to get them to buy the same shit they've been buying for 20 years it just it's not gonna work we're gonna i'm gonna be interested to see how this generations and legacy stuff pans out because i i if they start getting rid of some of the newer characters that are really beloved by new comic readers the scroll girls the Miss Marvels, the Miles Morales Spider-Man characters, if they start to phase those characters out, I think that is a pretty big sign that we're in for some dark times ahead. I agree. Last word, Marcus. That's what they call him because he has the last word. Let's do some big picks. Let's do it. Um, do you guys think you're going to start like referring to me as America's podcasting sweetheart, or is this something that... like? I should just keep bringing up over and over again? You or should. what do you guys prefer? Can we use, is it, what about like. You guys are part of this. I could not have done this without what you. What about like APS, right? America's Podcasting Sweetheart. And it doesn't really ring off it the, doesn't. roll off apps. the tongue apps. is good though. I think app. Curtis, what do you, how do you feel about apps? No, nah, I don't really like it. <laughs> right, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to Curtis. <laughs> how about ass? Rachel? America's. Rachel, any thoughts? Thank you, sweetheart. Rachel's way into my idea. Let's uh, <laughs> do some big picks. Can we do some fast big picks? Yep. Crack them off. Every week, we just read all of it. We read every single comic. It was a lot of stuff this week. Also, was it the best week for comics ever? Probably ever. For every, uh, and we're, what we're going to do is tell you what this best stuff was. We're going to each pick a book that if you're going to read only three things over the course of the week, you might as well start with these three things. Usually it'll be something new. Sometimes it won't be because who can be bothered to follow the rules? I don't know when this shit comes out. But uh, Marcus, I would really like to know what the best book you read this week was. I read two great books. Um, what first- you, this is our, I just said the rules. Too bad. You're breaking the rules. Um, the first one is a manga, and we don't 
talk about manga nearly enough. And the more I read manga, the more I realize it's because uh, it's backwards. It's hard to figure out how <laughs> to open to the book. This one I read is Delicious in Dungeon. Um, and it is, it has, the first volume came out a couple weeks ago. Volume two comes out end of August. August so, 9th. August I just, 9th. I just looked it up. Nice. That's next week. Um, it is about a young group of adventurers who are so broke that they can't afford to eat in any type of inn or bakery or coffee shop. So they have to go into the dungeon and learn about how to eat the random monsters that are in the dungeon. Cool. I found it charming. Um, it, it was really, really wonderful. Uh, it is kind of medieval fantasy themed, um, but man, I, I just loved it. There's a character in this book that they meet as they go down. They're like trying to figure out how to eat things in the dungeon. They meet this old grizzled dwarf who has dedicated his life. He's a dungeon culinarian. In, yeah, exactly. Yes. He's the Gordon Ramsay of- Do they eat him? They don't eat him. Okay. He's the Gordon Ramsay of dungeon cooking. Okay. And he's just one of the most enjoyable characters to read uh, that I've read in a long time. It is a great book. It's it's definitely, I would call it all ages. Um, Delicious in Dungeon. Check it out. One of the best mangas I've read in a very, very long time. So uh, it's set in the world where they know that they're in an RPG, right? Because people die and you get like a full party wipe and you have to get resurrected. Oh. And so they sometimes refer to that one time where I got killed doing this thing or whatever. Well, yeah, there's, a, there's a whole business of you can make a living going down the dungeon and just resurrecting people. Yeah. It's super cool. Do you think, uh, how come I've never seen an, an image of Gordon Ramsay drawn as a ram? That's a That's mistake. a no-brainer. That's a mistake. His, the name, is not his name is very fantasy-ish. <clears throat> Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. Oh. But he's a talking ram. That's a great idea. So there's a translation note in the back of this manga about a saying that, that they crack off. It says, along comes a duck with a leak on its back. It's a Japanese phrase used... <laughs> when something uh, terribly convenient happens. And I just love the thought of it. It's like like it's, a duck walks by and it's and, got a... And it just happens little, to have a leak on its a back. green onion on its <laughs> back. <laughs> Dinner time, you know? <laughs> it's pretty damn cool. This book is full of shit like that. Yeah, it's really wonderful. I challenge you to use that in conversation. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a tough Next week. Yeah. Um, and then the second book, real quick. Uh, Craig Pock came out with a new book, uh, Mech Cadet U. It's an all-ages book by Boom Studios uh, about a world where every year giant space mechs land on planet Earth and select teenagers to be their pilots. And a teenager gets picked out of the most unlikely places. And uh, it's really phenomenal. A great all-ages book. Great read. Um, check it out. Mech Cadet U. Well worth it. It's my number one sitting in a boring auditorium fantasy when I was a child. No, it makes sense. A giant robot's going to come down and choose me. Uh, the artist on this book is Takeshi uh, Miyazawa, who also worked on Miss Marvel. Mm -hmm. So Miss Marvel fans will be familiar with like this totally badass art in here. That's why it was so tasty. Yes. That's why I recognized it as tasty. This book was super fun. Who would like this? Fans of Robotech, for sure. Stuff like that, just kind of... Kids piloting mechs, which is a whole genre, which is awesome yeah. to me to even yeah. say out loud. Mech okay. Cadet U. Number one. Oh, I get it. Also, it's like a university where they train mech cadets. I just got it. And maybe it and could that's be you. Name. And it's, yeah, and it could be you. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's a triple entendre. Uh -huh. Curtis, what was your pick? Please. It was Give called, me a speedy pick, It Curtis. was called Dead of Winter number one. And it's written by this dude, Kyle Starks, who we like a whole bunch. He's writing a whole bunch of comics like what? He's writing my favorite comic book right now. Which is? It's called Rock Candy Mountain. Oh, yeah, the one with the hobos. The one with all the hobos. Comic is great. He did a comic called Sex Castle. Super good. This is a book set in the world of a board game, which this is definitely a first for me, reading a comic set in the world of a board game, Dead of Winter. It's about zombies. You he, didn't read Catan Nights? I did. I missed that one. It was hardcore pornography. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> License, too, which is weird. Yeah, Catan After Dark, I think it was called. Yeah. No, I'm going to look that up as soon as we get out of the book. Oh, you should. Uh, this book is about a group of survivors in a zombie apocalypse. They happen to have, like, a dog who really, really hates zombies. He wears a cape the whole time, and he's maybe, he definitely is the dog of a TV show before everything went to shit. He's a famous TV dog, and they just uh, are surviving out in, the, out in the wild. The art's kind of not great. Just going to throw that out there. It's kind of not. Uh, the coloring's not my jam. People's faces are super weird. But this book has Kyle Starks going for it, and uh, the dialogue is killer, and he cracks off a couple of Kyle Stark jokes that are very, very funny. 
I don't know how to characterize what the, why this dude is so good at what he does, but it's all in the dialogue. Yep, he sells everything with the people talking. You are it, the, you'll just love this book, despite literally open up the first page. You're like, huh, this art. Maybe I don't want to read this. This art's kind of shitty. Yeah. So he keeps things moving. The pacing's good. Yep. The plot is whatever. This is for all of his books. It's yeah. like the, it's it's kind of by the numbers, but he keeps it moving and it's fucking snappy and funny. You're gonna laugh out loud reading a Kyle Stark's book at least twice. At least two times. That's right. And you will take two those two jokes with you forever. Yeah. And remember them. So this is Dead of Winter number one. It's from Oni Press. Give it a look. Yeah. You don't need to know shit about the board game. I don't, other than it has zombies in it. So there you go. Word. That's my big pick. Nick, what's your big pick this week? It's called Galacticon. Do you guys know who Brendan Small is? Refresh my memory. He created and wrote Metalocalypse. Oh, yeah. And he worked on home movies. He was the voice of the kid from home movies, in addition to being like a writer and one of the creators of the show. He's a really funny dude. And this is, as far as I know, this is his first comic book. I couldn't be bothered to check that beforehand. I'm pretty sure this is his first comic book. It's definitely based on an album of the same name. God damn it. This is based on an album of the same name? It totally is. He's a musician also. Also a musician. He did all all the Metalocalypse music. It was all him and the vocals and shit. Very, yeah. very talented young man. Virtuoso. There is a, at the beginning of this book, you find out that the robot in the book, he speaks, and you can recreate the things he says, and they give you the guitar tab in order to recreate it. So if you need a whammy bar and you need to pedal with some distortion, and then there's the tab that you can use to see exactly what sounds he's making in the book, which I think is, I've never seen that in a comic book, so he speaks in Guitar Tab. Totally next level. It's very, very cool. This is the story of a dude who's kind of like a Flash Gordon-y type sci-fi-ish hero, and he meets a woman. She's like a young reporter. They fall in love. They're a celebrity couple for a while, and when we meet these guys and when we get to the action they are getting a divorce and this dude is a real piece of shit yeah they're getting a divorce because he sent intergalactic dick pics and got caught and he totally got caught and this is him at his trial mediation at his divorce mediation and he's trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life I thought this book was hilarious. It has a thin veneer of a kind of an interesting sci-fi world going on beneath it but mostly it just it was just really, really funny. Uh, I love it's just there's so much exposition, and they just drop like world names and alien names like left and right and Galactic Federation this and that. Yeah, and you, and you don't need to know any of this shit. It's just super, super funny how densely packed it is for a story that maybe doesn't really give a shit about. Yeah, you know that stuff because it's it, not really about any of that stuff. Yeah. it's really about a dude at the end of his rope who is a celebrity and is getting divorced, and I just. Thought it worked really, really well. I had zero expectations for it, and I thought it was great. The art is very, very nice. Curtis? By Curtis, I mean other Curtis. Marcus? I also had zero expectations for this book. (laughs) And what'd you think? That worked out pretty well, having zero expectations. You didn't like it. I thought it was completely okay. Okay. So that's how you know, um, ladies and gentlemen, that a book is funny. If Marcus didn't get it. Oh, I don't think well, I laughed once. Yeah. Per, th- I can't think of a better endorsement. I would put that on the blurb of my fucking comic book if I was writing it. I didn't laugh once. Marcus. F- Marcus Schwimmer. And that's how you know it's probably really funny. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yes. Yeah. There's no fiddles in this whole book. Marcus hated it. I Yeah. Uh, not one fiddle. <laughs> wow. Our uh, big- it's also from Albatross Funny Books, we should say, which have been kind of, they've been killing it. That's uh, yep. Eric, Eric Powell. Powell. Yeah, yeah. Now, this was actually co-written by Eric Powell. Hey, yeah. What else do they do? They do... Nam Wolf. Nam Wolf. And what's the other big one? Hillbilly. Uh, Hillbilly, thank you. They just do some neat books, and he's really well known for a book called The Goon. His little publishing house, man, they just... I, I think... Albatross. They, Albatross Funny Books. They've been, they've been knocking out some good-ass books. Yeah. If you're Marcus, just some... Some okay ones. I love Hillbilly. Hillbilly's a great great little series, man. Because it's got Americana in it. No, it's just a good book. <laughs> they put out some stinkers, too. Let's not lie. <laughs> Let's be honest. I can't think of any. What was the one, the little funny book about the little girl in the circus? Chimichanga. Yeah. Well, that was pretty funny, though. Pretty funny book, Chimichanga. Stinker. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Our big picks this week were Met Cadet U from Oni. Boom. Damn it. 
Boom Studios, Delicious and Dungeon. From who published that? Yen Press. Yen Press. Thank you very much. Dead of Winter. That one's from Oni for uh-huh. sure. And Galacticon from Albatross. Those are the big picks. Each one better than the last, because mine was last. You're totally wrong. Who did have the best book this week? Me. We haven't done this in a while. I have to say that the best book this week is definitely Delicious in Dungeon. That's the best thing I read this week that wasn't Dead of Winter. I will yield to you. I haven't read Delicious in Dungeon. That's I mean, why I was asking questions about like Gordon Ramsay drawn as a ram, because I don't fucking know what to ask you. I love this book series. It sounds awesome. Yeah. All right, you win. Marcus wins. Delicious in Dungeon. Bang. Huzzah. Huzzah indeed. Let me get that taser off the shelf. Is it charged? Here, let's shoot Curtis with it real quick. Hit him. Thwap. Oh, it's looking good. It's looking good. He looks alarmed and looks. it looks like it hurts a lot. Hey, guess what else happened at San Diego Comic-Con? Hey, what? Fucking Eisner Awards, man. What? I don't know why I said that bad word for that. That seems excessive. Hey, <laughs> people expect more out of America's podcasting, sweetheart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch my language. Yeah, clean yeah. up your act. Clean, clean up, up your fucking on. act. So the Eisner Awards, what are they? We're not going to describe it again. We did a really in-depth taser a couple of weeks ago. If you care about what the Eisner Awards are, go back and listen to that one. But yeah. they are a really big deal in the industry. We're not going to say the thing that everybody says. They're the Oscars, baby. God damn it. They're the Oscars. All right. They're a really big deal. And a few months ago, we made predictions when the nominees came out. And now we get to see who's an asshole and who is right more. Because that's what it means. You're either right more or you're an asshole. Yeah. Yep. Totes. Hey, how about we start with best continuing series? Okay. Marcus, your pick for this was Paper Girls. Yes. Curtis, your pick for this was Paper Girls. Hey. It says here my pick was Kill or Be Killed, and I'm pretty sure I was being silly because I don't think that book's that good. Too late. It's on the piece of paper. It does seem to be locked in. <laughs> so the winner was Saga. Boo. Yeah. Woo! Boo. It's a great comic. It is a great comic. Maybe share the love a little bit with another series. How many years has Saga won? It's like best a lot. continuing comic series. Man, like a lot of years. Todd Klein has wa- has only lost Best Letterer like three times in the in the history <laughs> since of the, the inception of that award. I'm yeah. not kidding. No, it's I fucking it. crazy. Yeah, Saga's gonna win a lot. They probably should. It's a pretty good book. Let's do Best Limited Series. Marcus chose The Vision. Curtis chose The Vision, but I chose The Vision. Mm. You're a real loose cannon, gentlemen. Yeah, we nailed it. Of course, The Vision. All the way down the line. It was definitely the best limited series of that year, i got to say. That's, it's so good. That was an easy pick. Have we talked about the fact that they are re-releasing The Vision right now in these director cut uh, singles? No. Mm. Dude, they are putting two issues at a time, releasing the whole thing monthly, so the whole series over five months, and it's two issues per uh, yeah. collection. And in addition to it, it's got the full script, and a bunch of concept drawings and like character design stuff. How many issues are out? It's it's like two or three in right now, and there are going to be five of them all together. It's so cool. I've never seen them do this with a book before. Can you think of another book they've done this with? No. This is this is how cool Vision is that they are releasing essentially a director's cut, yeah, bonus feature laden edition of a comic. Yeah, I can't ever in think singles. of that. It's super weird. I love it so yep. much. The Vision totally deserved to win, and it did win. Gabriel Walta did the art in that book. It's just so good. How about best new series? We we know what this is going to be. Now, the uh, Marcus chose Deathstroke. It was a joke, but I hope it won. Curtis chose Black Hammer, and I chose Black Hammer. The winner was Black Hammer by Jeff Lemire and Dean Ormson. Best new series of uh, 2016. I think, that's, I think that's right on the money. Slam dunk. Although, I'm this is no joke. I'm reading Deathstroke, and I think it's a absolute killer book. I think it's a... That one of DC's best books right now. Oh. No joke. Oh. Yep. A tally's being kept, gentlemen. Somebody's going to be right and somebody's going to be an asshole before this is all said and done. For best humor publication, I don't know that we'll do this one because everybody was wrong, but we should point out that Jughead won by Chip Zdarsky and Ryan North and Erica Henderson and Derek Charm, and it's a really good book, and I think it's awesome that Jughead won an Eisner. It, the book is hot fire. Yeah. There's just no way around it. It fucking kills 
it's a hard book to get people to read because they just think it's going to be your classic Jughead shit. Yeah. Yeah, spot on. It's really on. funny. Super on point. Chip Sadarsky. Yep. Curtis, you turned me on to Chip Sadarsky's Twitter account, too, and that's the funniest shit that I've been reading lately. The best Twitter account on Twitter. It's really good. It's so on point. Marvel is doing variant covers with him very soon. It's How to Draw by Chip Sadarsky. I love it. That's a variant cover line? Yeah, they're going to do a variant cover Ooh. line with it, and the quote that I read is Chip Sadarsky saying, I don't know how to draw. <laughs> That dude is super oh, funny. Oh, man. Curtis, you chose Hot Dog Taste Test for that one. It's not clear that Marcus or I chose one at all. This process is broken, and the rules of this game are broken, but we will take one point away from Curtis for being wrong on that one. I see. Not really. And you guys, <laughs> you, <laughs> just kidding. You, you get a net plus, plus two. We'll just say. Uh, best reality-based work. Uh, the choices were by Marcus chose March, book three. Curtis chose not applicable. See, this is what the fuck. Do we did we have some corrupted data? What happened? Did I think Rachel's probably just like zoning in and out as she was <laughs> listening back to this? And I chose Rosalie Lightning, yeah. which was the best book, to be fair, mm. of 2016. March totally for realist based work. Oh, Curtis said he didn't like any of the that, choices. I did not fucking say that. Oh wow, Curtis doesn't like March by John Lewis, who's a civil rights hero. Yeah, hilarious. The winner was March. Boom. As it happens. So that's a point for Marcus on the big board. It's all tied up, gentlemen. This game is so dumb. Everyone should read that whole series, by the way. For best graphic album. You know what a graphic album is? What Please, is it? Please enlighten me. It's when you huff a bunch of glue and you listen to fish. Oh. On vinyl. And listen to Dark Side of the Moon. And backwards. you listen to Dark Side of the Moon forwards, but you walk backwards. I got nothing else. Neat. The best graphic album. A graphic album is another name for a graphic novel. Just a fat-ass comic book. That's Big all it is. Big old fat comic book. And I chose The Art of Charlie Chan Hock Chai. And Marcus chose The Art of Charlie Chan Hock Chai. And Curtis chose Patience. And the winner was Wonder Woman, The True Amazon by Jill Thompson. Oh, snap. We all got it wrong. We all got it wrong. I thought for sure it would be Patience. But Wonder Woman, True Amazon. That's a Damn fine comic book. I don't remember that book at I all. I you got to mess. You got to recheck it out. What? Then. What was the, which? What was that a book about? It's Jill Thompson. Uh-huh. It's an original graphic novel, and it's Wonder Woman like doing some sweet teenage Wonder Woman stuff, like hunting and finding all these ancient lost artifacts of the Amazons, and like rebuilding mm-hmm. the lost history of the Amazons and shit as like a young warrior. Was this released serially or was no? Only just straight the graphic okay. novel. Got very, it. very, very cool. All right. Well, I got to check it out. Yeah. Wonder Woman, the true Amazon. That one, it had, there was some heat in that category mm-hmm. this year. And it beat them all. We have uh, best U.S. edition of international material from Asia. You, this could also read as best manga, U.S. release of manga. There you go. We can say. Uh, we have Goodnight Poon Poon was Marcus's choice. Solid book. Yeah, really great. This is a real. This is a real uh, uh, Thunderdome here because we all chose different stuff. Yep. Goodnight, Poon Poon for Marcus. Curtis chose Princess Jellyfish, and I chose The Art of Charlie Chan Hock Chai. And the Art of Charlie Chan Hock Chai won. It just squeaked it out. I bet. It's not really manga, but it it's guess not. the category is best U.S. edition of international material. It's not really. It doesn't have to be manga. Probably should have two categories. That list was all heat, though, is what it I want to say. That's true. Every single one of those was great. That's true. Let's get into the meat of it. Please. Best writer. All three of us chose Jeff Lemire. All three of us chose Jeff Lemire. He's the best writer and that I, year, I hands stand down. by that. He had, yeah. a, he had an amazing year. Brian K. Vaughn won. Bullshit. For writing just, for still writing fucking Saga and Paper Girls. This is what's dog shit. And Te- I'm going to rant. Tell it. me. Look, Saga is a great. We've all, every single person has acknowledged that Saga is a great book. Uh huh. Let some other talent, like, let some other fucking people go. Hey. Let them get acknowledged. Jeff Lemire had way better of a year than Brian K. Vaughn did. Were any of his individual books, I mean, maybe they were. Were any of his books better than Saga? You could make the argument for sure for you Brian Probably Hammer. could make the argument. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. 
But it's not a best. It's not a you know. Let's shine a light on a creator nope. award. It's nope. who did the best that. shit. But Brian K. Vaughn also did We Stand on Guard last year. That was the year before, and that's was a it good the book. Year before? Yeah. No, it's not a good book. <laughs> it's a great book. It's not good. It totally is. Nick, is it good? It's well, you know, it's not. But good. it's not. It's not <laughs> about body of work though. And you. That's true. In Saga and Paper Girls are 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 two of the best fucking comics in all of comics. Paper Girls. It's real true. Get it, but. Should have been Jeff Lemire. Should have been Jeff Lemire. We all agreed. We all picked that. Best. Oh, I this we didn't bet on this one, but the best writer-artist combo was Sonny Liu, Art of Charlie Chan, Hawk Chai. Hmm. We just throw that out there. It's pretty dope. Best penciler slash inker or the best penciler inker team. Marcus chose Dan Mora for his work on... Klaus. Definitely Klaus. Klaus. Thank you so much. I'm so sorry. Curtis cho- chose Francois Schuiten. Who, what, who's that guy? He did Leaning Girl, and he did... Um, it's a French car- uh Why'd cartoonist. you pick him? Uh, because he's just so... He is very talented. So good. Scary good. And I chose Brian Stelfreeze, uh, who for his Black Panther stuff. Mm-hmm. And we were all wrong once again. It was Fiona Staples for Saga. Just cleaning huh. house. Hmm. Huh. It's all politics, man. <laughs> Obviously. And with just as as anticlimactic as possible, that's the end of the contest. Fine. The wi- oh my God! I won. I had three right choices, and you guys each had two right choices. As America's, so suck it. As America's sweetheart, it's your right and privilege. America's suck heart, more like casting sweetheart. Please use the full title. Saga. Can we? Do we have time to talk about this for a second? About how you want to talk about Saga some more? More? Just this is why they always win because we just keep spending all this airtime talking about it. I know. But please but go ahead. Look, Saga is a great book. It's a legendary book. Look at the just the he just the, the he's so beleaguered you right hate, now. You I can know, see you Marcus's hate this. face. He's look like he's been walking uphill in a sandstorm for a week. <laughs> <laughs> did you just build a bridge over the River Kwai? I did. Do, do you think Saga was the best comic book to come out last year? Be uh, real. It was a tough year. It, can, was a, it was a very good year. You can make that argument, though. You Consistently, can make that argument. every time you read an issue of Saga, you're like, that's one of the best fucking things it's I've read great. this week. Every it's week, a, every month. It's a fucking masterpiece. Well, that's something. That's not nothing. It is. It is. But, and there's also something about, hear me out, there's something about looking back over the history of Eisner winners and like looking at the list and you're like, oh, yeah, Saga won like four fucking years in a row. That's because that book was really good. Like it might seem a little ridiculous right now, but like in the scheme of things, it's a pretty good and important book. It is, and but I just like even when I look at between Paper Girls and Saga last year, yeah, I personally think that Paper Girls had it, it was better. Now and it's fine. I Eisners are obviously allowed to disagree with Marty Schmore, but <laughs> don't you think like if you're going to acknowledge Brian K. Vaughn for his work last year, I think it is just such a better choice to we've acknowledged saga it's been acknowledged you want to acknowledge brian cave let's bring attention to paper girls because not as many people are reading that book as i don't know saga. if that was nominated well, it fucking should have been well and that's the and thing this is fiona staples we should also no, right. talk yep. about the yeah. fact that like fucking fiona staples did uh she she's did, half that book she's half that book and her whatever you have to say about the writing of saga I fucking challenge you to come up with many books that have art that's better than. Oh, if Fiona Staples is is the uh, she rules atop comic book art mountain. She, yeah, you know she and is, just because it's Saga that she's doing, like that's what she was working on. I so hear you. she deserves the award. But I feel you. And when he was when Brian K. Vaughn's nominated for best writer, it is for both of those books. It is for I his that. body of work. Yep. I just I feel bad for my boy Jeff. You know. Feel bad for him. I feel you. I feel you. Uh, those are the Eisner Awards. This um, contest that we do sucks. You I know, feel like we've got to be. We got to figure out something better. In previous years, we didn't vote beforehand. Yeah, Curtis and I did it on the fly. I like that, and I we think compete, we go back and we compete it. But yeah. it requires neither of you cheating for a few days. Well, Curtis is a and, fucking cheater, and well, Curtis as we is all a, know. and Curtis is a goddamn cheater. <laughs> so I don't know if that's gonna work. You're well, right. But we should try. You're right. Because I love the tension. I remember how worked up you guys got last year. You guys got very, very into it. Should we do a board game review? Let's do it. Let's do the part of the podcast where people usually uh, turn off the podcast. (laughs) 
What do yeah. you guys think? This, as we saunter over to the board game corner, <laughs> feel free to. This is a great time to just pause this. the podcast and just swipe left and delete that shit. <laughs> We're going to talk about King Domino, the Spiel des Jahres winner for 2016. Just released in the United States of of A. It was finally released. This is a. Uh, it's always Spiel des Jahres, always a big deal, right? Yeah. It, it, it's a big deal because it, people the, are going to buy this game no matter what now because it'll have a little badge on it that says Spiel des Jahres. It's the Oscars it. of the board game world. Fuck. Target will ah. buy this, will buy this game now. Kmart will, yeah. will get this game. Yeah. That sweet, sweet Kmart money will come rolling in. <laughs> it's just the fucking Oscars of the board game world, you know? It really it's the daytime Emmys of the board game awards. So here's King Domino. King Domino is a game about building um, a little kingdom. And I just can't, I don't even know how to say with words how much I hate that and how sick I am of games about building little kingdoms. Yeah, it's a very theme. Uh, we can move on from medieval for a little while. It just seems weird that we're still doing it. Yep. This The theme of this game could have been anything. Literally, can, why, why couldn't it have been a Dinosaur park. Let's just think or about other. It's a little puzzle making game where yeah. you're like, you have to match terrain types and lay them next to each other. You make a five by five grid. You want all of the desert next to each other and you want all the water next to each other. And then you, you got to pick the right tile so that you can get it all. That's like dominoes. It's like Carcassonne. It's like Patchwork, this other game. It's like putting a little puzzle together. It's fine. What other themes could this have been? Zombies, dinosaurs. Aliens. How do you make it work with aliens? Uh, they're different planets, and if you put the certain planet types by one another, you get a bigger boost for your little intergalactic section of space. Curtis, go. Hot lava. <laughs> and then some, so you connect lava flows or rocky stuff. Okay, that's terrible. It could have been it could have been a computer motherboard. Totally. It wouldn't have won the Spiel des Jahres, though, if that was the case. Do you think? Think of Spiel des Jahres winners. It's always a... It's Castle. not always. You Literally have... a game called Kingdom Builder did win that award Kingdom, a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, Come on. It, it, Let me ask you this. A... Please. I'm sorry, Marcus. No, go ahead. Uh, King Domino. I I played this game with you guys. Yeah. Where's the Domino part? Who Who is King Domino? No, it's it's Kingdom Domino. Oh. Because you're building a kingdom with Dominoes. I... I see now. Yeah, because whole... it's like the little two bangers. Yes. Each one is like so much domino. Got it. And you know how in dominoes you have to like put down the, if you put down one that's got a five on it, you can only put a five on that end oh, yeah. of the domino? Yeah. Well, it's like this one with so, the dominoes. Now I'm going to say that forever now. It's going to be kingdom omino. Omino. <laughs> this was designed, oh, what do, we, what do we have here? What did Rachel Polk do here? Rachel's pulling up all the spiel the yards. They're all like- Historic-based themes. Yeah, I mean, well, Codenames won, la oh, no, no fucking no, no. Isle of Sky, which Isle is the same is game. It? Yes. It is, like, really, really similar. Spiel has a game type, and yeah. this fits that. They were probably like, guys, we're going to be really rebellious this year and pick a Spiel winner that can only be played in 30 minutes. And like, oh, we're so progressive. We're picking another kingdom base. Oh, well, the past few years, so Colt Express is not kingdom base. Camel Up. Oh, Camel Up, such a good game. I haven't that played that in a while. I want to play that now that you said it. Yeah, Hanabi was about fireworks. All right, I stand corrected. Not all, but then there's Kingdom Builder. Sure. Carcassonne also won the Spiel des Jahres back in the day. Yeah. So did Catan. So, so should we, do we need to talk anymore about this game? This is like pretty much, we, we pretty much broke it down. It's like very simple, plays in 15 minutes. You'll learn how to play just by playing it. It's one of those games like, here's... You know, build your little castle and, like, pick a tile, and you know how to play, essentially. And then by midway through the game, like, your brain's working a little bit. You're mm -hmm. thinking about it. You're trying to figure out what the, as you're picking out tiles, what's the best tile that I need right now to put to get the most points? I just can't, as I was playing it, and then as I was done, I only play it twice now. As I was done, I just could never imagine being like, hey, guys, you want to play King Domino? That's exactly what I was going to say. It's like, this is supposed to be our game of the year. of the, in, an, in a flourishing like, industry that's having a golden age right yeah, now. This yeah. is supposed to be the best thing that came out. And it's not. Like, whenever, like, just even for small two- to four-player games that take under 30 minutes, 
there were better games that came out this year. I played better games about building a kingdom this year, and I hate games about building I kingdoms. I think it's a, it's it's a fine little light game if you are into light games. I imagine it would be fun to play with two players. There's always a market for two-player games. As far as being the game of the year, you're not sold. I think it's kind of a dud. Yeah, and I keep as I was playing this, I'm trying to think who this game is for. Yeah, because. For anybody who doesn't play games, this is an easy go-to. If you haven't already played games, this this makes sense. But is the game of the year not for folks who are already it's, on, right. on Team Game Squad? Very, I don't know. Very good point. You know? Because I, I agree with you. I got done playing. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I probably don't need to ever play that again. Yeah. You know? But that's because there's 10 other things like this. Enough. It's a very good point. And it's for very young players. You could give this to, like, very young kids, and they could... Just to get him to shut up for just twenty minutes. Just please be just, quiet. Just well, can I have a minute? Can I have a minute? <laughs> yeah, and, like, and that has that. That's not nothing, right? So families like that are like in the sushi go realm. Like they, yeah. you know, you you've only played three or four games, and you have younger folks. This is pretty awesome. And right. what what won the gamer ass game award this year again? Please remind me. It was Exit. Oh right, which uh, is yeah yeah. Right? Let me double check. I'm pretty sure. Exit. Exit. Yep, that's correct. Which is a very good game. It's like Escape the Room, but the but the game. I think that's a solid solid win for enthusiast game of the year. Right? Definitely. And we've talked about that at length. Uh, Yeah, King Domino. Yeah, put it on your like. Yeah, if you played, I played Ice Cool and Sushi Go, and I need a. What's my third game that I'm gonna get ever? Yeah, King Domino. Marcus, how long did it take to learn this? Ten minutes. Were you ever bored while you were playing? Yeah. Be honest. Yes. You were bored while you were playing? Yeah. Oh, wow. Curtis, were you ever bored while you were playing? I wasn't because it goes really fast. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say I was bored, but it's not overly complex either. So there's not a lot of moving parts to keep track of. Interesting. And at some point, you don't, in some points during the game, you don't have a choice in what you do next. And that's, that inherently is, can be boring, I think. That's, that's a good point. It's yeah. a very good point. Uh, could you play this game with your grandmother if your grandmother didn't wasn't really into board games? Maybe your grandmother is a huge Dead of Winter fan, for instance. <laughs> yes, I think you could. You think you could play with a non-gamer? Yeah. Totally non-gamer friendly. If your grandma loves Dead of Winter, she would totally put her nose up at this. She would not fucking she would not fuck with this. No. If she yeah, if she was super into it, if she's yeah. a Dead of Winter head. Yeah, as they're called. Uh, would I like this game? Me, Nick, personally, America's podcasting sweetheart. <laughs> You know what? I think you'd like to play it once because it's the Spiel des Jahres, and I think it will never enter your apartment again. How much does it cost, and is that a ripoff? MSRP, 20 bucks. I think I would have loved to see this at 15 bucks. It's 20 bucks. Is it a ripoff? Yes. I'm not going to say ripoff. It's not a good deal. It's not a great deal. I think this game could have been made with a deck of cards and had all of the things that it provides now. What do you think about the components in this game, Curtis? I thought everything was nice except for your castles. Your castles are made out of cardboard. And you like, but they're like little 3D castles? That's cool. That part's kind of cool, but you put them together. You like putting stuff together. I love that. But three games in, they're already starting to get all kind of fucked up. That might might that might be because I let Marcus put one of them oh. together. False, you fucked yours Big up. Big old well ham-handed Marcus. But Curtis, <laughs> here's the question: If you, because you could make this game out of a deck of cards. Well, sure, probably, yeah. Do, do you think if you were to do that and sell it for nine ninety nine? I, I, yeah, I think that would be good smaller, but I am happy that it is this small too. Yes. Because this game, you they could have easily done a twenty nine ninety nine version of this and made it a little bigger, which would have been stupid. What if they were real dominoes? So I thought That'd about be that. Dope. I thought about that. If you could do a real domino like with actual Weighted? dominoes. Yeah, get it for like under twenty bucks. Different different review from this guy. I might feel why does that why does that happen? Because why do I feel there, that way? There's a tangible mm-hmm. sensation of actually using real dominoes. I would like this game more. That's yeah. so stupid that I would, but I would. Yeah, I totally would. If it was real dominoes, I actually was laying in bed last night because I knew that we were gonna <laughs> review this. I'm thinking about how I'm gonna review it, and then it was like, what if they were real fucking dominoes? And I was like, I'd probably that give this game a real re- like a great review. That's why I, I I love Splendor. I think it's a great game, but half the reason I love Splendor is because the chips are like like clacky yep, domino yep, yep, yep. Um, poker chip t- style. If this if you had played, the, I'm adding a question mm-hmm. to our normal five questions. If this game hadn't won the Spiel des Jahres, how would you feel about it if you just played it? 
I, there's no way to know, but like, yeah, I probably would recommend it as a great entry level game for new gamers, like young kids. Yeah, totally. And, and that is, and all this said, this is totally a great game for for younger folks who don't play a lot of games. This would be a fine place to to jump in. Yeah. And at 19.99, it's probably for this style of game, probably one of the cheaper offerings. Um, you know, so Rachel Polk is reminding us it is important to note that the translation of the rule book is rough. Can I just give you guys a little taste? Oh, please. Break it down, <clears throat> if you would. Um, let's see. Well, let me find a real choice one. You are a lord seeking new lands to expand your kingdom. You must explore all the lands. Wheat fields, lakes, mountains, in order to spot the best plots. But be careful as some other lords are also coveting these lands. Funny? No? <laughs> Not so much? <laughs> it's just... Now, that that's your flavor text. There's a lot of... Uh, a player takes all the kings in their hands, shuffles them thoroughly when they get them out of their hands one after the other. That's a sentence. Well, I don't I had to read it eight you. times because I don't know what that means. When your king appears, place it on an empty domino in the line. What line? It's not really clear at this point what the line is. The, the rules were a little rough is what I'm saying. They were worked through. The game is so simple that you could work through it, though. Yes. And, you know, the mechanic of choosing your next piece and your turn order was kind of neat. I've seen that in a few other games. That That's the one yes. little mechanic of the game that I thought was kind of interesting. Because as you're choosing from the, I don't know if we said this, as you're choosing the, the domino that you're going to choose this time, yep. you get to take that domino and put it in your kingdom, but then immediately you have to choose the next domino that you're going to select. And it's a toss-up between your turn order and an, your ideal domino. That's what you're weighing. I think the the key is, though, is that what would have made it better is if in that choice there was an extra domino for the amount of players that is playing. So if you have four players, there's five dominoes. Because you should never... I don't like the idea of playing a game where I don't have some choice in what I'm picking. I see what you're saying. And this game forces you at some points mm. to pick a domino right. that, that you have no other options from. And you, I think that's think, a weak point. Do you think that was because you were playing suboptimally and you were always picking last? Kicked your ass. No, you did. Fuck. It's a really good point. Well... Then I'm, now I'm done with this segment, <laughs> now that I've been reminded of that fact. And that's King Domino. That's King Domino. Uh, well, that's all she wrote, gentlemen. That's the end of the episode. It's our 152nd episode. Bacardi 152, baby. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah anything, any other thoughts before we leave our audience alone? for the? There's no one else listening at this point, so you can really say whatever you want. I hope everyone's excited for our Catan um after Dark, a uh, special that will be airing uh, the day after this. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Wood for sheep, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Remember, you that, gotta... remember that joke? Ooh. You can only find that on the, the dark web. Yeah. The After Dark web. Curtis? Yeah? Another week in the can. Any thoughts? Any closing thoughts? Oh, it just feels good to sit down with my fellow dorks, as always, in the hot, hot booth. It's always weird taking a week off. It's good to be back with you, my brothers, my nerdy brothers. In the hotness. I'll be off next week. I won't be here next week. What? What? Yep. I've heard nothing of this. I did Neither not Neither have I. Where this. are you going? What are you doing? It's none of your fucking business, but I won't be here. I'll track you, bitch. <laughs> so I'm not going to be wow. able to uh, continue this bit that nobody seems interested if I continue or not. <laughs> Wherein, in the bit, I am America's podcasting sweetheart. I feel like it's going to wither on the vine now because I won't be here to carry it forward next week. Well, maybe more importantly, we'll... who are we replacing him with? Ooh, That's not it. more importantly. That's you're you're moving important. past my bit. This is the end of the bit. Is it Nick or Burtzos or is it Rachel? Mm. Mm. Too much inside baseball. Who cares? I'm not going to be here so nobody's going to fucking listen to it anyway. Hey. This has been another episode of Super Skull. Our producer and editor is Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Please subscribe, download, and review Super Skull Show on the iTunes. If you leave a five-star review, you can also you can say whatever you really think about us in that comment. You can say one thing that you really think about us. Yeah, no, make the, the body of the review can be anything. You could be it could be shitty. Like you can hurt my feelings. You can hurt Marcus's feelings. I don't. I wouldn't hurt Curtis's feelings because he will remember it. I'm super sensitive. <laughs> I take betrayal very seriously. But uh, if you have, but for a five star review, say whatever you want. Say whatever you yeah. want. Uh, also, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
Twitter, and our website, Super Skull Show, is how you find us. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Wybar. I'm Marcus Schwimmer. And I'm Curtis Sullivan. And we wish you very good reading. Until next week. So hear me out. Let me set the scene. Yeah. As the moon rose over the wheat field, young Curtis carried his cart full of wood. His wood was laden with fresh dew, morning dew, as he, Why was he strolled pantsless up the hill. Was he chopping wood at night? That seems weird to do at night. Will you continue the narrative, man? Oh, is that what we're doing? Yeah, this is Catan after dark. And then, and then, as he's walking down the road, it twixt a crossroad, as he's hauling his lumber, his dewy lumber. He comes across a young maid. Her arms full of wool, her heart pitter pattering. As she sees the dew-laden Curtis. She's building a settlement all by herself. It's like very labor-intensive. And pretty lonely. And she's surrounded by freshly shorn sheep (laughs) glistening in the moonlight. They're puckered pink buttholes. Whoa! In full view. Whoa! You said it was poured, man. You gotta ease into it. We just went straight to puckered buttholes? (laughs) 